Please uh, turn with me to Leviticus uh, chapter 21. As you turn there, uh, we're just reminded we're making our way through the book of Leviticus, through the first five books of the Bible, really, the, the Pentateuch. And we've been talking about holiness and uh, what holiness means, this idea of being devoted uh, to God. Uh, Leviticus 21 and 22 deal with priests and some calls that God has on the lives of these priests. There's kind of six sections here that we're going to be looking at in these two chapters, and we're going to read one of them uh, together this, this morning. And here, if you would stand with me in honor of God, we'll begin in verse 10 of Leviticus 21. Again, God's word to these, these priests. The priest who is chief among his brothers, on whose head the anointing oil is poured, and who has been consecrated to wear the garments, shall not let the hair of his head hang loose, nor tear his clothes. Verse 11, he shall not go into any dead bodies, nor make himself unclean, even for his father or for his mother. He shall not go out of the sanctuary, lest he profane the sanctuary of his God, for the consecration of the anointing oil of his God is on him. I am the Lord. And he shall take a wife in her virginity, a widow or a divorced woman or a, a woman who has been defiled or a prostitute. These he shall not marry, but he shall take as his wife a virgin of his own people. that He might not profane his offspring among his people, for I am the Lord who sanctifies him. You may be seated. May God encourage us through his word this morning. And Father, we do just ask your blessing on us as we look at these words. We pray that you would change us, that we would be uh, the spiritual leaders that you have called us to be in the lives of the people uh, that you have placed us. And we pray this in your Son, Jesus' name. Amen. Well, this morning I just want to go ahead and start by by looking at the main idea. And so here's the main idea that I, I want us to think about as we look at these two chapters in Leviticus. It, it, the main idea is this. By his grace, God sets apart spiritual leaders who help point us to his salvation in our ultimate shepherd, Jesus Christ. That's kind of a, a long statement. By his grace, God sets apart spiritual leaders who help point us to his salvation in our ultimate shepherd, Jesus Christ. You could just shorten that down and say, God gives us leaders who point us to him, to, to point us to Christ. But we'll stick with a longer statement here because there are a couple things that I want to, to draw your attention to. The first thing that I want you to notice is, is the idea of being set apart. God sets apart spiritual leaders. In fact, look at your Bible with me if you would. And I told you that there are kind of six subsections of these two chapters that we're looking at. And these six subsections are not just kind of arbitrarily chosen. There's something that occurs at the end of, of each section, at the end of each paragraph. And if you're looking at the ESV, you can kind of read along with me. Notice, notice what happens, for example, at the end of the first paragraph in chapter 21. You come to verse 8, next to last verse in that paragraph, and it says, I, the Lord, who sanctify you, am, am holy. Then you come to the last verse of the next paragraph, verse 15. It says, I am the Lord who sanctifies him. 
That is the priest. You come to the end of the next paragraph, and it says, and the next to last verse, verse 23, I am the Lord who sanctifies them. Again, he's, he's talking about the sanctifying done on the priests. Verse 9 of chapter 22, I am the Lord who sanctifies them. Verse 16, the end of the next paragraph, I am the Lord who sanctifies them. All the way down to the next to last verse of chapter 22, I am the Lord who sanctifies you. So over and over again, in these sections, we see that, that God is, is setting these priests apart. He's sanctifying them. And we've, we've talked about that phrase, sanctifying, before. It means to reserve for a special purpose. You go and you book a trip and you get a boarding pass on an airplane and there's a, a row number and a, a seat letter and you take that boarding pass and you go to that seat and you you ask the person who's in it awkwardly to move and you show them your boarding pass and then they, they move because that seat's been reserved for you on most airlines. Sometimes there's a mix-up. But anyway, yeah, that, that boarding that's reserved for you for your purposes. God is the one who does this setting apart and the, the, the priest, the spiritual leader, is set apart by God and God does this in his grace. That's another thing I want you to notice from this phrase. So a spiritual leader is set apart for a purpose, and God is the one who does the setting apart, and he does it by his grace. This isn't a punishment of God. It's, it's part of God's gracious work. Sometimes we don't like the idea of leaders, but we see that in Scripture that God gives us leaders not as our punishment, but as his grace. Whenever I was a, a youth pastor, at the end of my, my first year of being a youth pastor, the, the kids kind of put together a, a video uh, for the seniors at the senior banquet, and they were kind of each giving their testimony of things that God had taught them and what they'd enjoyed about youth group. And, and one of the girls, I'm, we're eating the dinner there, and one of the girls in the video says, the best part about my years in youth ministry uh, was, was before Daniel came. Yeah, you know. I'm eating my food, <laughs> you know, like, kind of makes you feel pretty small. But what, what she meant was it, was, it was fun when we didn't have leaders. It was fun when we kind of could do what we want. And sometimes that's our, that's our understanding. Look, leaders are just kind of a pain. But no, we see God in his grace gives us leaders. So you come to the end of each section and it's saying God is the one who establishes these leaders. It's part of his grace. Now, why does he do it? What's the purpose behind providing the church leaders. The purpose is to point us to Jesus Christ. The point is to model holiness, to model devotion, so that people can find salvation in the ultimate shepherd in Jesus. Maybe you read a quote from Mark Zuckerberg, the co-founder of Facebook, the CEO of Facebook now, and a few weeks ago he was, he was talking to a group, and I'm paraphrasing here, but he was talking about creating a community, and he said, you know, in, in a church, it's, the, it's not just a bunch of people coming together. It's a, a pastor who, who brings people together and helps create that sense of community as he meets their needs. And I thought, you know, that, that's not, there's not no truth in that, but a, a church that's held together on the basis of the personality of, of, of a man is a church that's held together very weakly, right? In Scripture, we see that a leader, a spiritual shepherd, brings people together to point them to Jesus. That's the unifying factor. 
You say, okay, well, if all that's true, what can I glean from these chapters this morning? You say, I'm not a priest, I'm not a pastor, what does this have to do with me? Well, here's, here's the reality. God has called each of us to be set apart for his use, to be holy. And God has placed every single one of us who are believers, he's placed us in positions in which his desire would be that we exercise spiritual leadership. All of us have some sort of arena in which we can exercise spiritual leadership. Maybe it's in the context of the church. Maybe it's in the context of a a Sunday school class or a care group. Maybe it's in the context of your family or with friends or in the workplace. But God has placed each of us in a position in which we can exercise spiritual leadership. And so I want us to think about the ways in which the spiritual leadership that God establishes can point us to Jesus. Why God does this. Here's the first thing that I want us to see from these these chapters. Number one, God establishes spiritual leaders who model wholehearted devotion. Remember last week what we saw about holiness. What is holiness? Holiness isn't just not sinning. Holiness is about devotion, about devotion to God. God is perfectly holy because he is perfectly devoted to the glory of his name. You and I are holy as we devote ourselves to God and the exaltation of his name as well. Now, look at these verses with me, if you would. It says that Moses is to talk to the priests, and he's to tell them a couple things about how they are to live. They are to be uniquely devoted in in some, some interesting ways. First of all, God tells Moses to tell the priests some things about uncleanness. He says you can't make yourself unclean to be around a dead body. He gives a a couple exceptions for the normal priest. It says your closest relatives, your mother, father, son, daughter, brother, I think wife is implicit in this, sister who's not married, um, those people you can be around and be a part of the the funeral rites, but, but other people you can't become unclean for. And then he also gives some regulations concerning marriage. And what is, the, what is the purpose of God giving these restrictions? The purpose is so that the priest would model wholehearted devotion to God and God alone. You see, for example, with the, the ceremonies re- regarding dead bodies, the Israelites had come out of the Egyptian culture. They're going into the Canaanite culture, and both of those cultures looked to religious leaders to do things with, with dead bodies that kind of signified their, their ability to speak into the afterworld. So perhaps in the Egyptian culture, for example, you'd see a, a priest had the ability to, to help a a person in their journey in the afterlife. They could do some things to the body. They could provide some different things. And, and through their a ritualistic procession of, of things, they could, they could help that person in the afterlife. Other cultures would, would bring the dead to the priest, and the priest would perform these rites, and they could help them, or they could help people communicate with them. And, and God, throughout the Old Testament, we see is very clear on this, this prohibition. Those who are engaged in worship of me, can have no part of those things. And the things that he, he tells them not to do, he says, don't, 
Verse 5, don't make bald patches on their heads. Don't shave off the edges of their beards. Don't make any cuts on their body. Those were, are things that would be done in conjunction with these, these pagan rituals. And God is saying, look, I, I don't want my people to have anything to do with, with those things. My people are to be uniquely and wholeheartedly devoted to me. And my leaders are to model that. My leaders are to model that. Now, in the positions of spiritual leadership that God has placed us, we're going to get a lot of advice about how we should care for people. If you are a parent, you get advice all the time, solicited and unsolicited, about how to care for your children, right? You get in-laws talking to you about how to care for your children, perhaps. You get friends you get Facebook posts, Instagram pictures, Pinterest. I mean, there are all sorts of voices speaking into your life about how to, how to care for your kids. As, as a church leader, I get advice all the time about how, how to lead, how to be influential in a church. When I was in seminary, I saw kind of some, some pendulum swings in terms of advice that are given to church leaders, the advice that, that's given to pastors. So sometimes some of the books I read talked a lot about gaining influence through, through consensus building, for example. So you, you have this, uh, this model of church government where you're allowing everyone to give input and you as a leader are trying to figure out the influential people to talk to and, and kind of these these influencers to help influence other people and how to maximize your influence and build consensus and listen and those sorts of things. And it seems lately, last few years, maybe last five or ten years, that the pendulum has, has swung maybe a little bit over to the direction where it's uh, leading toward, you know, toward uh, encouraging pastors to be strong leaders, you know, be, be macho, right, and kind of figure out ways to influence people through the force of personality. Recently, uh, in fact, just yesterday, I got an email from some people inviting me to a conference, and the conference seems like a, a, uh, a conference that you would glean some, some things from, but the tagline was, again, about how to, how to improve your influence, your, improve your ability to, to influence, and the speakers there, it's kind of targeted at churches, but a lot of the speakers aren't even believers as far as I know. It's, it's kind of using some pragmatic principles, and, you know, there, there's nothing wrong with thinking pragmatically about how to lead an organization, but I think the danger, I think the danger for church leaders is the same danger that exists for all of us. And that would be that we lose sight of what the ultimate purpose of a spiritual leader is. As a spiritual leader, my ultimate purpose, my ultimate purpose is not to convince people to do things, even, even good things. As a spiritual leader, my ultimate purpose is not to get you excited about some sort of program that the church is doing, even if it's a great program. As a spiritual leader, my, my ultimate purpose is to point people to Jesus Christ. My ultimate purpose is to point people to to devotion to God, to holiness, to worship. The other, things, the other things can flow from that. So one Scottish pastor in the first half of the 18th, uh, 19th century said this, the greatest need of my people 
is my personal holiness. And the, the thing about that reality, the thing about the reality that as a, as a spiritual leader, my ultimate purpose is to model wholehearted devotion, what that means is I can't go and find examples of that. I can't find um, ultimate examples of that in, in the secular world. There's only one model that I can find that helps me understand what my purpose as a pastor is, and that is Jesus Christ. Listen to what Peter would say in 1 Peter 5. Peter's talking to the elders, and he says, Look, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, but not under compulsion, but willingly. And then he says in verse 3, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Matthew 20 is this amazing passage where the sons of Zebedee's mom come and, and uh, the, she says, look, Jesus, I want my, my sons to sit at your right and left hand in the kingdom. In other words, it's, it's your kingdom. We get that. But... Um, one of my kids on your right hand, one of my sons on your left hand, in your, in your kingdom. And Jesus says, look, I've uh, got some bad news for you. <laughs> You're going to drink of my cup, that's what it was required, but to sit in my right hand and my left hand is not mine to grant, but it's for those to whom, for whom it has been prepared by my Father. And, and the other ten hear about this, and, and they're, they're kind of torqued at, at James and John and their, their brashness here, and and Jesus says, look, guys, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them. You're thinking of leadership in, in Gentile terms. Their great ones exercise authority over them. It shall not be so among you, but whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be your slave, even as the Son of Man came not to, ser- not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. The model for leadership that you and I have is not a secular model. Secular models of leadership are about exercising authority and influence. The model that God gives us in his son Jesus Christ is a model of service and pointing people to Jesus. And so often we have this idea, look, God, it's, it's your kingdom. I get that. We're all excited about Jesus reigning as king, but we kind of want this. We want to be like, Jesus reigns as king, co-starring Daniel Bennett, Right? I want to be at the right hand of your, your kingdom, but I want to be right there, right? But that's, that's not God's model. God calls us as spiritual leaders to model not influence, not prestige, but to model holiness. And what is holiness? It's devotion. The priests here are called to model devotion in their lives. You and I are called to model devotion in our lives as well, which brings us to the second point, which is very similar. Secondly, God establishes spiritual leaders who proclaim eternal truths with temporary lives. God establishes spiritual leaders who proclaim eternal truths with temporary lives. Now, these next verses go from talking about the priests in general to the chief priests in particular. It's a more narrow focus here. And the prohibitions are are similar, but but they, they go a step further. So, Whereas the priests were told not to defile themselves by going any, near, any, near, any, de- near any dead bodies except close relatives, now, 
in verse 11, we see that the chief priest shall not go into any dead bodies nor make himself unclean even for his father or for his mother. And the prohibitions on marriage become greater for the chief priest. And the reason that's given there is you need to make sure that this first child would be of the right lineage. There needs to be absolute certainty that this, is of the, this child is of the priestly line. But the idea there is that these prohibitions that exist for the chief priest become greater than the prohibitions given to the other priests. And, and why is that? Well, it's, it's again this modeling. Modeling with their, their lives sacrifice. I, th- I think I've said this before and I'll, I'll, I'll say it again this morning. It's important that we understand that, that leaders are not called to a different level of holiness or different standard for holiness in, in the sense that we don't say, well, leaders need to be really devoted to God and, and I can kind of be like semi-devoted to God because I'm not a leader. That's, that's not what we see in Scripture. Just as, as a leader is called to pursue righteousness, all of us are called to pursue righteousness. You, you, a kid can't say, well, mom and dad, they're my spiritual leaders, and so they, they really need to obey God. I can just kind of obey God. That's, that's, not, that's not what we see in Scripture. All of us are to be pursuing God wholeheartedly. But there does seem to be something interesting that takes place in Scripture. As my leadership responsibilities increase, the sacrifice that God calls me to increases as well. That, that seems to be a reality here. In other words, as you think about the secular world, in the secular world, as, as you climb the, the ladder, the perks increase, right? The office gets bigger, the, uh, the paycheck gets, gets, gets greater, the, the deference that other people show to you increases. It, it's not that way in, in God's economy, in God's scale of leadership. As my responsibilities increase, the sacrifices that God calls me to make for those that he's placed in my care increase. The difficulties increase. The hardship increases, oftentimes. Why is that? Because those who are in positions of spiritual leadership have the opportunity to take something temporary, something short-lived like their life, and with this, with this finite commodity, proclaim something infinite. I take this, this short thing, my life, and as I'm willing to sacrifice it, I proclaim something about eternity. Philippians chapter 2, what does it say about Jesus and his model here? It says in Philippians 2 that we aren't to look after our own interests, but the interests of others. We're to have the same attitude that was in Christ Jesus. And it says in verse 6, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and Being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. So so picture this. What what is Jesus entitled to? As as God himself, there's, there's no ceiling on what Jesus is entitled to in terms of glory. You don't say, you know what? Um, yeah, I think he's reached all the glory that he deserves. It's it's infinite, right? Now 
Consider the gap between what Jesus deserved and what he received. It says he humbled himself. This is where he was, where he deserved to be. He humbled himself. He, He took on a human form. And then he humbled himself even further by dying. And then he humbled himself even further by dying a humiliating death. In other words, as we look at what Jesus did in his spiritual care and shepherding for us, there is a There's an infinite gap between what he deserved and what he received. Therefore, as a leader, when I think about the gap between what I think I deserve and what I'm receiving, that gap is nothing compared to what my Lord and Savior has endured, right? I think that my children should be treating me this way as their, as their father, the, the paterfamilias of the family. This is what I should be receiving. This is what I'm receiving. How dare they, right? This is how the people that I'm, I'm serving in my, my Sunday school class, I mean, I'm sacrificing and they don't recognize it. I I'm, deserve this, but I'm getting this. How, you know, it seems shocking. You know what that is? It's leadership, God allows us to make these, these sacrifices as we increase our ability to serve. He, causes, he calls us to make greater and greater sacrifices with our temporary lives so we can proclaim eternal truths. It's what leaders do. While, we're in, while we were in Western Asia, uh, we went uh, running a couple times. Sometimes ran with some of the workers there. Sometimes I ran with uh, Whitney and, and Hannah. And the first morning there, we, I just went running with Whitney and Hannah, and one of the workers there in Western Asia had told me to run with a rock. He said, you need to run with a rock because you're going to encounter some wild animals in the streets and some dogs. You need to be willing to show them your rock and get them to run off in fear of you. So we, we run, and sure enough, uh, I'm carrying my rock, and some dogs come barking at me. I show them my rock, and they, whoa, whoa. Uh, you know, then we uh, we keep running. We run kind of downtown area, and and all of a sudden there there are like three or four dogs running really close with us. And I show them my rock, and they're not impressed. And they're just like, "Hey, that's cool." And but they're really they 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 seem like different types of dogs. And they they run with us, and then we start running in, into the the mean dogs again. And when the mean dogs come, these these dogs are running with us. They, they leave us and they go and they, they bark at the mean dogs and chase them off and then they come back. And they run with us for a couple miles, just kind of, kind of, you know, watching out for us. Drop off Whitney and Hannah and, and uh, I, run another, I run another four miles and there's a dog that just runs with me the entire way. And I'm, I get to the hotel and I'm like, oh man, I feel terrible. Uh, look at the dog, I, I have nothing for you. Um, I would get you a treat, but I think by the time I come back, you'd be gone. Uh, I don't have any water. All I have is this rock, and I'm not going to throw it at you. So, and, and what does the dog do? Okay, that's cool. I'm a dog. I don't care. I show up the next morning, the dog's there again. Why does the dog, this is a dog. It's what dogs do. They're, Sorry for dog lovers. They're not smart enough to be cynical, right? I mean, they're just, they're just sweet. A lot of them. Not the wild dogs. These dogs. 
What do leaders do? Leaders are like dogs. You know, we, we do what we do because of who we are. We don't do it for the treat. We don't do it for the attaboys. We don't do it for the pat on that. We do what we do because of who we are, because of who God has called us to be. And sometimes at the end of the day, that the treats are nice, <laughs> but sometimes at the end of the day, you know what we got to do? We say, well, you know what? I'll settle for just not having a rock thrown at me, you know? And sometimes we don't even get that. But it's okay. Why? Because God has placed us in a position of spiritual leadership to serve, to lay down our lives for others. And we, we use these temporary things like our lives to proclaim eternal truths. Are you willing to give the last ounce of yourself for the spiritual benefit of others? Are you willing to be underappreciated, reviled, hurt? You must be prepared for those things in spiritual leadership. And if you are not being taken advantage of by people, you're probably not leading the way that God calls you to. In terms of being vulnerable and exposed for the glory of God and the benefit of other people. Another truth we see here, God establishes spiritual leaders who provide a picture of Christ. There's something that happens in verses 16 through 24. It describes people who are not eligible to participate in the sacrifices. He's he's describing people with, with physical defects. And you say, well, does this mean that God doesn't care about handicapped people? And the answer is, of course not. We see throughout Scripture, God has a special care for them. Just a few chapters ago in Leviticus 19, verse 14 God says, you shall not curse the deaf or put a stumbling block before the blind, but you shall fear, you shall fear God. I, I'm the Lord. In other words, I care for those who, are, uh, who have needs, and you should as well. You practice justice. In Jeremiah 31, God talks about bringing from the north country, gathering people from the farthest parts of the earth, those who, are in, who have needs, the, the blind and the lame. So God cares about these people. So why exclude them from the service here? Well, it's not about the worth of the individual. Remember what we saw about the sacrificial animals. There's supposed to be here this, this picture being painted of who Jesus is. And by eliminating animals with physical defects and by saying that people with physical defects can't, can't sacrifice these animals, he's using this physical symbol to convey a spiritual truth that none of us can reach God's standards. We need a sacrifice. And he's pointed us to the ultimate sacrifice of Jesus. Now, what does this mean? What does this mean for you and me? Well, as we come to the New Testament, as we look at spiritual leadership, we see that, that spiritual leaders are also, in the New Testament, providing a picture of Christ. 1 Timothy 3, Titus 1, describe the, the qualifications of elders, and they're to be above reproach. They're not to have things in their life that, that distract people from the, the picture of God. And some of the things that he lists as being uh, characteristics of a person who is above reproach, some of us would say those things aren't, aren't true of us, but that doesn't mean we aren't loved by God. It means circumstantially these are people that God has reserved for positions of leadership. Through the years, in terms of advice for leadership, I've, I've been given a lot of uh, advice that, that's, that's really maybe helpful in some ways, but not really relevant to the, the ultimate task, right? I've seen uh, or been given advice about how to address better, how to, um, 
how to buy certain programs, take surveys, and the tr- different things. And, and not, not that, that any one of them is necessarily bad, but, but they're not ultimate, right? They're not ultimate. What we see here is that leaders are to point people to, to Christ, and they're to provide a picture of who Jesus is. As I think about my own early life, there are kind of several people that, that I think about their positions of spiritual leadership and realize that much of my thoughts about who God is and what he looks like and, and how he acts were, were shaped by, by these people. My dad, for example, one, one, my early memories of, of my dad, I can just think, okay, my characteristics of God and characteristics, characteristics of my dad, they overlapped quite a bit, right? <laughs> so I got, grew older, I can remember uh, I can remember listening to Pastor Rich talk about Jesus and, and about God and my, my understanding of the Christian faith deepening and, and realizing later, but what his, his teaching really shaped what I believe about who God is and, and what he loves and his characteristics. Those of us who are in positions of spiritual leadership need to think very carefully about the model that we are providing of who Jesus is. And even in our weaknesses, we have an amazing opportunity, right? You know, we're, we're models of Christ for our kids, and our kids look at us and they say, okay, like Dad, God is a provider. Like Dad, God is, is someone who loves me unconditionally. And we show those things. But then we also, with our children, we and other people we lead need to be transparent. We say, hey, kids, you know what? Uh, yesterday when, when Dad lost his temper, boy, that was really wrong, and, and that was not how I should have responded. Will you please forgive me? And now what does our child say? Ah, okay, that's not like Christ. <laughs> Dad in his transparency has, has helped me understand who Jesus, uh, well, aspects of him that, that aren't like Jesus as well. It's really important for us in spiritual leadership to be transparent in those ways because we are shaping how people look at God himself. Huge responsibility. Fourth thing here, God establishes spiritual leaders who are in danger of, of falling. It's very hard to think about this, but as you look at verses 1 through 9, you see something interesting. He's talking here about ceremonial uncleanness, but I think he's pointing here to some moral uncleanness as well. So look what happens. It says, um, he's talking again to the priests and Aaron and sons, and says, abstain from the holy things of Israel, this is verse 2, which they dedicate to me so that they do not profane my holy name. I am the Lord. Say to them, if any one of all your offspring throughout your generations approaches the holy things that the people of Israel dedicate to the Lord, while he has an uncleanness, that person shall be cut off from my presence. I am the Lord. What is he, what is he helping the priests see here? He's protecting against the, the arrogance of leadership. Because sometimes in our arrogance, spiritual leaders say, well, I'm a, I'm a leader, I'm a spiritual leader, therefore I'm, I'm kind of like magic or I'm holiness itself. And I have the ability in and of myself as I make decisions as a leader, those decisions must be right because I'm a leader. I'm a, I'm a parent, therefore my, my child must be obedient to me and, and I'm always right, my kid's going to be wrong. I'm a, I'm a pastor, therefore the things that I, I'm doing are right things to do. There is a, a danger that we think of ourselves as somehow holiness itself or magic. And what we need to understand by God's grace is we are leaders who are capable of falling and falling in profound ways. 
And, and any of us who have been in, in church long enough can think of examples of, of people that we admired, people that we loved, people that we cared for, falling in ways that brought shame upon the name of Jesus Christ. Paul would tell the leaders of Ephesus, from among your own selves will rise men speaking twisted things to draw away disciples after them. Say that in Acts 20. In 2 Peter chapter 2, uh, Peter would warn against false teachers, and as he warns against these false teachers, he, he talks about their, their self-centeredness, their arrogance, their sensuality, their, their greed. He says, in their greed, they will exploit you with false words. They have eyes full of adultery. They're insatiable for sin. They entice unsteady souls. He says, they've, they've followed the way of Balaam, who loved gain from wrongdoing. I hate talking about this, but, but this is the reality. We, who are in positions of spiritual leaders, leadership, are frail human beings, and any one of us is capable of falling. What does this mean? It means it causes us to fear God and cling to Him. On this uh, trip that we just took, I realized something early on in, in times of our, our, our meeting together as a team. I realized that I was in a position I don't think I'd ever been on before. I was, I was now the oldest member of this team, okay? I was now the, the oldest person, of the, which means it was a very young team. But um, I, was, I was the oldest person. And as we were coming back on, through the airport, I was talking with one of my friends who was on the, the trip. And, and uh, he said, you know, isn't it interesting how when we take pictures... We take pictures of, of happy things, happy things. And I said, listen to me, kid. Uh, no, I said, uh, you think they're happy pictures now. But o- over the last 15 years, 20 years, pictures that I thought were happy pictures when I took them have turned to be tragically sad pictures when I look at them today. Why is that? It's because the people that I was taking that picture with, at the moment, it was a time where things seemed good. They loved, it seemed like they loved the Lord. It seemed like their, their ministries were being effective. And, and today, they're no longer walking with the Lord. Those pictures are incredibly difficult to look at. And yet, they are a constant reminder that any leader is capable of falling because we are human beings. Now, what should that cause us to do? For some people, they say this. Some people, and, and I don't quite understand this. I mean, I sympathize with it, but I, I don't quite understand it. Some people look at that reality and say, well, boy, if, if, if leaders are going to do that, then I don't know about this whole Christianity thing. If, if my parents are going to say one thing about God and then live this way, I don't know about Christianity. I, you know, I, I had a person who was a Sunday school teacher, and then they, they did this, and so I don't know about the whole Christianity thing anymore. Here's the reality. What this should do instead is cause us to fear and say, all of us need to cling to Jesus Christ, to be devoted to him. This, this doesn't disprove the reality of, of, of Christianity. It, it proves the absolute necessity of one Savior, of Jesus Christ. God establishes spiritual leaders who are in danger of falling so that we can even more cling to his son, Jesus. Fifth thing here. God establishes spiritual leaders who receive 
unique benefits to help them in their ministry. You go through verses 10 through 16, and as you read through those, it describes the, the way in which the, the priest's family is cared for. And again, we see this, this principle renewed in the New Testament is the laborer is worthy of his wages, and we who are part of, of ministries have the opportunity to give to other ministries and be a part of those ministries as we give. Last thing I want us to, last truth I want us to look at is this. Sixth thing is this. God establishes spiritual leaders who need to hear and meditate on gospel truths themselves. God establishes spiritual leaders who need to hear and meditate on gospel truths themselves. Verses 17 through 33 describe the sacrifices that priests are to offer for themselves. And remember what we saw as we looked at the sacrifices in chapters 1 through 7. We see that, that everything in these sacrifices points us to Jesus, our all-sufficient sacrifice. As you look at these sacrifices, you, you, and you see these in these verses as well, you, you see the need for redemption proclaimed in them. You see the need for reconciliation, for thankfulness, for fellowship, for cleansing, for repentance. And we see that Christ is the ultimate, ultimate fulfiller of, of all those things that we need. And a priest, a person who is, whose position is, is to, to bring people to God and point people to God, the priest needed that for himself as well. What does that tell us? In our position of spiritual leadership, as we talk to our kids about the gospel, as we talk to our coworkers about the gospel, as we talk to a church on a Sunday morning about the gospel, we need to be proclaiming the gospel to ourselves as well because we are people who need cleansing, who need redemption, who need to not just point people to Jesus Christ but be wholeheartedly thinking about our own relationship with Jesus Christ as well. One of the realities of spiritual leadership, I think, is that um, we're in danger as leaders of, of believing our own propaganda, right? People say nice things about us. We kind of give off a certain vibe. And, and, and the danger for us in positions of leadership is that we begin to, we begin to believe the hype. One of the things I, I try to tell myself is that I'm I'm probably not as bad as, I know I'm not as bad as my worst critic thinks that I am. But I also remind myself, I'm not as good <laughs> as the nicest email says that I am either, right? And if I had to be closer to one or the other, it, it would be the critic, right? In fact, often the funny thing is that critics aren't wrong about what they say about us at a fundamental level. It's just their examples might be wrong. <laughs> we need the gospel. I need to see Christ and not myself. Not only do I need to point people to Jesus, I need to point myself to Jesus and not myself as well. Priests in the Old Testament, these chapters, ultimately they're a shadow. They're a shadow of Jesus Christ. Parents, leaders at work, leaders in the church, whatever position God has placed you in, you are a shadow as well, pointing people to the ultimate shepherd, Jesus Christ. And a person can have a relationship with God only in him, not through their own efforts, not through their own works, but only through coming to him and placing their faith in him alone for salvation. And as leaders, we show people what that looks like.
as we devote ourselves wholeheartedly to Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the good news found in your son Jesus. We thank you for the life that we have through faith in his name. Help us, we pray, in our journey of finding our sufficiency and joy in him alone. We pray that in your son Jesus' name. Amen.